once you get to accessing those positive emotions, that paralysis really dies down and you see the sustainable action that we talk about. So people feel motivated, people feel hopeful, people feel connected. And it's really important to kind of tap into those emotions first and get out of sort of that scarcity zone of there's not enough time, I'm not doing enough. Because actually when we look around, there's so many people doing so many amazing things. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation who want to nurture heroic leaders for environmental change. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. Hi, I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer and parent and co-host of this podcast alongside the brilliant Helen Hill. Hi, I'm Helen and I'm an educator, author and designer. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Megan Kennedy Woodard, a coaching psychologist and co-founder of Climate Psychologists, an organization that provides psychological support and communication tactics for individuals, families, governments, and corporations who are committed to saving the planet. She's a co-author of the book, Turn the Tide on Climate Anxiety, Sustainable Action for Your Mental Health and the Planet. In this conversation, we'll talk about eco-anxiety, managing our eco-emotions and supporting climate action. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thank you very much. It's, it's very nice to be here. Very, very happy to have you here. So Megan, your book is quite a powerful guide in terms of helping people to really change how they're feeling and navigate through climate anxiety. It'd be great to centre our conversation by starting with your particular perspective on what climate anxiety is, as well as the need you've been seeing in the community around people seeking support in this space. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a good question. And I always think it's kind of a nice place to start about sort of thinking about what climate anxiety isn't. Um, And so climate anxiety isn't a formally recognized or diagnosable psychiatric condition. It can lead to things like uh, difficulty in sleeping, panic attacks, hopelessness, and inaction. And that's one of the things that we really focus um, our therapeutic support around. But a lot of people sort of, there's this debate about whether or not it should be diagnosable. And um, on the one hand, if if it is put under the range of an anxiety disorder, there's the opportunity for more funding and research. And there's also more funding available for, say, insurance companies and that sort of thing for people to be able to access support. However, there's the other side of the argument, and we actually kind of aren't supposed to lie on either camp, but we do in the sense of actually this shouldn't necessarily be a diagnosable disorder because it's a real and authentic response to the biggest existential threat that we have encountered in humanity. And so actually it's a very reasonable response, important that we acknowledge that it's a unique stressor the threat is real, the status is changing, and the outcome is uncertain. There's also this global awareness about this. So climate anxiety is something that the more we know about what we're up against, the more um, appropriate fear, worry, concern, all of those emotions that are attached to that is actually a very authentic and appropriate response. Yeah, that's really interesting, uh, finding that balance between, like you say, the the need for it and, and actually it is a, a perfectly adequate response to to what's going on. But why did you decide to work in the climate psychology space? Is there a particular moment that's happened for you in the past or is it something that has just become a, a, an interest of yours? 
So my husband and I, who's my partner as well, is a clinical psychologist. And we had sort of a traditional practice in Oxford, England, and we were working with adults and children suffering from a range of mental health problems, including anxiety, depression. And this was from a clinical side of it. And also I do coaching. And so we we kind of had just sort of a normal practice, but we started to note sort of an increase in presentation of people experiencing symptoms of anxiety, depression, grief, and anger. Um, specifically related to primarily their work in climate change. Um, So these were researchers, people working in sustainability. And around the same time, my kids joined a eco club and I was seeing more and more parents that were really holding these um, eco emotions and concerns about how to talk to their children about it, how to engage in climate action in a way that was helpful, not too scary, but, um, but important work. And then around the same time, I ended up finding myself just at a friend, she organized a chat and um, there was someone there from Extinction Rebellion who um, explained sort of more of the deeper science of the climate crisis to me in a way that I hadn't really engaged with before. And shortly after that, I kind of, I I went, I went along to a few protests and uh, there was sort of this oh moment for me where I thought, actually, this is much bigger than I've, I've, sort of recognized and thought about and processed. And I sort of went on my own kind of emotional journey with it. So whilst sort of in tandem with our practice needing to sort of support um, our clients with this, I I experienced it myself and thought, actually, there's there's not really... um, you know, a roadmap for how we deal with this, because it's not the traditional kind of um, challenging thoughts or um, questioning, like sort of the CBT approach where we we sort of um, look at changing our behavior based around um, our thought processes. It was like, actually, this is this is real. This is happening. It's not a fear of clowns or a fear of a monster under our bed. This is something we're actually facing. So it needs action. Um, and I guess that that sort of led me to think about how we approach this differently and my partner as well. So we, we kind of developed um, along that course. And so, yes, it was on the personal side of it. How can we have the biggest impact? Because we care about this and this is important and now we understand what we need to do. Um, but also, like, how can we mobilize as many people as possible in a way that's good for them, but also good for the planet? What you're saying resonates so much, Megan, because I think I very much feel like I've been through a a journey of, you know, the more I understand, the more things happen in everyday life around this space as well, you know, just get deeper and deeper into your understanding of it. But but it brings up so many emotions as well, whether it is the grief, the, the real anxiety, the fears, the powerlessness, all those sorts of things. And I think, you know, I completely agree that, it is very much about trying to navigate towards action and trying to move through those emotions. And so I guess in terms of what you're seeing from different people, how does climate anxiety manifest differently for different people in terms of the sorts of reactions it brings up for people? Mm. It's a good question. Um, There was a really good poll done by the Washington Post-Kaiser Foundation. I think it was around 2019. And they gave kind of a range of different responses of how does climate change make you feel? And there was a range of like afraid, which was 57%, angry, which was 52%, guilty, 42%. But interestingly, I think there was this percentage of motivation, which was 54%. So if you think about afraid, which is 57, and motivated, which is 54, I think that it gives us an insight into what you said, sort of the 
closer you are to the problem, the more you know about the problem, the more likely you are to take action. So a lot of people, if their awareness of the crisis is close enough, they're more likely to make greener choices and be more engaged. That really resonates, actually. And I think one of the things that I've found and that many others do is, where do you even start with this? Where can we start to try and navigate these emotions that that appear? It's good that you said sort of emotions, because I think we've umbrellaed climate anxiety or eco-anxiety to cover a whole range of emotions. And it's important to sort of acknowledge all of them. There's the eco-rage, feeling you know, so angry at the systems that have let us down. There's the grief, there's the trauma, there's the paralysis. But also on the other side of it, there's a lot of positive emotions that we can access. And that's really, as climate psychologists, where we want to sort of steer people in the direction of that. Because once you get to accessing those positive emotions, that paralysis really dies down and you see the sustainable action that we talk about. So people feel motivated, people feel hopeful, people feel connected, um, inspired. And it's really important to kind of tap into those emotions first and get out of sort of that scarcity zone of there's not enough time, I'm not doing enough um, we, you know, people aren't doing enough because actually when we look around, there's so many people doing so many amazing things and it starts with one action. And a woman that I just adore, Emery, and she is the waste chef. And she said something amazing, which is like, people don't stop using plastic straws and stop there. It's like kind of a gateway into one little action becomes another little action, which becomes a bigger action, which becomes a bigger and bigger. And suddenly it snowballs into looking around and seeing all the green work that you're doing. And it just, it starts in sort of one little shift in behavior. And I think once people start doing that, they really thrive and they feel inspired and they feel that self-efficacy. And that sort of is that, so it's taking sort of small actions that lead to bigger actions and then talking about your actions to your friends and then they start thinking about it. So it's a real um, area where it's easy to expand quickly. Yeah, we talk about this a lot at Be The Future because I think you really just need to start somewhere, anywhere that resonates for you. And I think different people can have very different entry points depending where they're at in their life stage, what they care about, you know, what their particular life experiences have been. And I guess the big thing is I think there's a misconception that trying to take action in this space, you know, it means it's going to cost a huge amount of money or take a huge amount of time or you need to know everything. But I think the really great thing about this is you really don't need to know all the things or do all the things starting in a very small space, whether it is that reusable coffee cup, whether it is starting to buy pre-love clothing, whether it is, you know, switching to a greener bank account just in one space really does start to create those ripples of action for both yourself as, as well as people around you. And I think that's one of the most encouraging things I've found over the years when you start to see other people just gradually ask questions and engage more and it kind of opens up conversations. And so I think that action very much is a, is a strong way to, to start more and more coming from that. And so I guess just on that point, I know at Climate Psychologist you talk about the cure for climate anxiety being the same as the cure to climate change. I'd love you to talk us through a bit more about what you mean by that. Absolutely. I, um, I, I think more recently put kind of the caveat on there of um, the word sustainability tacking in and sustainability not in the sense of sort of the green work that we do um, but something that has longevity something that is going to um, sort of uh, encompass the resilience that we need so what we say is um, climate anxiety to sustainable 
sustainable climate action. And that means that um, sustainable for ourselves, um, sort of emotionally and mentally, and sustainable for the planet. So what we see a lot of times is that people do exactly what you said, you know, they, they feel like they've got to know everything, they've got to do everything perfectly. And there's this whole myth around um, being the sort of perfect environmentalist. And a lot of that is sort of has been put and sort of the responsibility placed on the individual. And that's very much um, a deliberate um, sort of ploy by a lot of big corporations of this is the problem of the individual and they need to turn their lights off and take responsibility when actually we're not having this, that, that doesn't really come down to us. <clears throat> and it's more important to sort of focus on what, you know, what we can do, where we can have the biggest splash. And, um, and as far as our climate action, that is, is not something that we're going to sort of run full blast into, but recognizing that this is a marathon, not a sprint, you know, and, and so what we need to do is we need to look at where we can have the biggest impact. So, and that starts with identifying what it means to us. So for individuals, it's, it's really good to sort of ground yourself in your values, um, whether that's guardianship, um, equality, uh, you know, a, a love of nature, um, sort of looking to, looking to the future of your of future generations. So understanding what it is that is like personally important for you in this aspect. Um, you know, I know someone that like just has an absolute love for nature and started working um, sort of at a wildlife a conservation center. And um, and so it's 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 identifying what's important and where you can place your actions, and then looking at sort of how big your impact can be. Like, um, what are your strengths? Where, what are you good at? Are you great at accounting? Well, you know, get involved in a grassroots community and start raising money. Or are you very well spoken? Get, you know, get in front of the camera, start talking to people, do whatever you can do to sort of use your platform and your voice, finding out what your strength is and leaning into that. And also what's easy for you? How can you make easy changes every day? And, and that's a really good place to start. And that sort of um, brings us back to that idea of sustainable action because once we sort of plug into what we're good at and what we feel happy with and what we feel like we're seeing that direct impact, that's when we start to um, rise into that place of abundance and not feeling so scarce, like it's not enough time, it's not good enough, I'm not being enough. And we move into that place of look at how much work we're doing, look at all the people that are involved and you know we can't fail, this is going to work because we're all moving forward. And that creates that sense of um, that that sustainability that keeps us doing our climate work for the long run. And that's what we really want to cultivate. Yeah, I mean, that's where you find the power, isn't it? When you find that place where you actually feel like you can take that action, have a voice. And I think that's something that took me a while to to establish, really. Of, of, I was trying to do all the things and, and had to find the place that meant, you know, the most important for me and, and where I could use my skills. And something that I do talk about quite a lot in my business and that I really am trying to be an advocate for is mental health. So, you know, we're talking about anxiety here, but how can we look after our mental health while being immersed in the reality of this existential threat that is climate change? And what are some positive tools that we could draw on? 
Mm, it's a really good question, and it's where we always start um, because oftentimes people that are most engaged, we, we talk about sort of the right level of anxiety, and a lot of the people that we work with, anxiety can be a really helpful tool. Um, guilt can be a helpful tool because it sort of spotlights what's important to us and what we need to pay attention to. But what we find is that a lot of people that are working sort of tirelessly in sustainability or in research or having a green, green identity is that um, a a lot of times they'll put their own needs on, on the back burner and um, not to advocate for lots of flights, but there's a reason that when we're boarding a plane and the safety guide comes on, it's put your own mask on first so that you can help those around you. And if we can't breathe, how are we going to help the planet breathe? Um, so we really highlight um, the importance of self-care in our climate actions. And I think there's a lot to learn from young activists here because they have really leaned into this and identified how important it is to support their mental health. And they've really taken that on in a way that's, I think, um, inspired us to sort of draw from their um, experiences and their just sort of learning from them. And one of those things that they note is super helpful is just connecting with others, finding our tribe, finding a group of people that are not only doing climate work, but are experiencing these emotions around the climate crisis as well. Because not feeling alone in this is so important. No one person is going to solve this. You know, we need we need to identify that this is this is you know um, the work of many, and many people are feeling the strain of this work, and they're feeling the power in this work, and they're feeling the motivation in this work, and the grief in this work. And identifying it and talking about it is the first and most important place to start. I think. Also, we really identify that taking breaks from climate work, giving ourselves permission to find balance is important, maintaining a schedule, um, maintaining physical health and eating properly, exercising is really important. Um, but it's also just kind of that, that myth of the perfection needs to be debunked, I think. I was just nodding along to everything you were saying just then, I think. And I know that there are certain points there that I absolutely need to work a lot harder on. And I think just giving ourselves a bit of a break and and actually giving ourselves space and time to reset is so important. So thank you for saying all of that, Megan. I think that's going to be incredibly helpful to a lot of people. I also think, you know, I, I always go back to the sort of um, metaphor of this being a marathon because um, I think it's also really important that we signpost the achievements that we make along the way. And that's something that in our climate work feels really hard to do sometimes because we think, okay, so the goal is solve climate change. I'll do that on Wednesday morning before I have to pick the kids up from soccer practice. And it's like, actually, we don't note all of the actions that we take every day. And so if you have a goal, whether it's a weekly goal of um, eating less meat, or if you have a weekly goal of um, that you sign X amount of petitions, it's actually noting how much work you're doing on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. Because when you actually stop and look back, you see that you're putting in a tremendous amount of time. It's really important that we note and celebrate our successes in our climate work because if we don't do that, it's really easy to sort of lose sight of how much we're putting into it. Yeah, 100% agree on that. And I think, you know, something recently that happened, which was amazing to see, was Shell pulled out of the Cambo oil fields, the future plans, and activists were finally taking a step back to celebrate that and to go, this is actually a really big win, a huge fossil fuel company pulling out. And so I, I think that really resonates a lot. And just to switch gears slightly, 
If you had two minutes in a room with world leaders, what would you say to them? I guess connect. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think one of the people that um, I spoke with had the passes to get into sort of the center circle at COP were really surprised by the lack of emotional connection. The people and policy makers and corporations that were in, in sort of that center space of COP. And it was actually the people um, sort of on the fringe around the grassroots communities that had showed up that were deeply connected. And I, I think giving people sort of politicians the opportunity to see on the ground what it's like to survive a typhoon, what it's like to not be able to breathe the air because the smoke is too thick. Once there's that deeper understanding of what's actually at stake here to emotionally connect more. I guess I never advocate climate anxiety, but I would be okay with them experiencing a bit more climate anxiety. And again, sort of shifting the focus back to the people that are taking incredible action, that are shining light on the activism that's happening, rather than sort of telling politicians what to do. They know what to do. They, they should be, you know, they, they have the information, but they don't have the emotional connection. Um, one thing we always say is sort of we have the technology that will save us, but not without the stories that engage us. And I think that we need politicians to engage with the humanitarian aspects of what's going on at a more profound level. I think what you're saying makes so much sense. And I guess in terms of trying to get more world leaders to develop that emotional connection and that empathy as well, mm. from a psychology perspective, are there things that you that really you feel could be done to try and get them to see, you know, psychological sort of thinking that could really come to bear in that space? Well, if I'm if I'm thinking psychologically, um, I would say that it's um, it's more about behavioral nudging for politicians. It's more about showing them nobody likes to be told what to do, especially politicians. So. Um, rather than, and I think it's it's one of the issues that climate change has had that's been quite a problem in the past is that, um, you know, we say climate change has an image problem. Um, it's like, actually, if we showed politicians how much money they could save and how much profit is to be made in the Green Revolution, that's probably a much better way of getting them to engage rather than saying, you know, species are dying or this population is at high risk. Um, you know, it's it's actually showing them um, what, what is available, what is good for them to be here. You know, I think actually China could potentially lead the world in this because they're driving it as an economy um, rather than it being emotional. And for me, you know, that's, that's kind of a double-edged sword because I think that people should engage emotionally, but if we're really going to um, push governments to make that and corporations to make that change, um, it's sort of using using that that sort of behavioral economics is quite a um, good good tool to have in our kit. Yes, definitely, and painting the opportunity, and I guess that's the thing that there's a huge economic opportunity with taking action on climate, in addition to everything that's environmental and health related too. Absolutely, I mean that's quite a <laughs> dystopian version of it. I mean, my my ideal would be to say like care about the people, but you know we've tried that, and actually it's it's okay. Well, look how much money you could save or make from this, and that might actually be what sort of pulls it across the finish line. 
Yeah, I mean, it's such a shame it always comes down to money, but it's I see that in other areas of life, even, you know, with clients I deal with in my business and things, sure, the money impact, and that seems to be the thing that people understand more. Um, but, you yeah, know, those of us... But if it starts us in the right yeah. direction, I'm happy to go with whatever works. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, then, and you know, and then work on the empathy that they need to build. <laughs> so as a final question, what would you like to tell the guardians of the next generation, whether that's the, par- the parents, sorry, the carers, the extended family, the teachers, what would you yeah. like to say to them? Um, I think the opposite of what I'd like to say to politicians. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, lead with empathy um, and kindness and love because I worked with an amazing young activist from the Philippines and she said, you know, her, her work sort of stemmed from fear and anger um, at the beginning and she found that to be utterly unsustainable and um, has converted that anger and fear into love and empathy for the people we're doing this work for the planet, for the species, um, and actually that is what really cultivates sustainable long-term action, and um, that's what we need to be looking towards, that's what we need to be teaching. So those that haven't gotten on board with sort of understanding the impacts of climate change, um, speak with empathy, speak with curiosity, show them how great this work is, how much fun it is, how um, connected you feel, how motivated and hopeful we feel. And that's how we can really engage people and create that movement that we all need to be behind and working with. I love that. And I think it's a really beautiful note to end on because I think really trying to pull people towards this aspirational, better future and Pull people there with with the hope and the idea of you know love and what can be better because of it is so much more encouraging and more motivating and more inspiring than trying to scale into you know what needs to happen so thank you so much megan i think what you said today is going to help a lot of people to navigate through a lot of very appropriate but very difficult emotions so thank you so much for the conversation today oh pleasure and thank you both for all your work Thanks so much for joining us this week. We really hope this episode inspired you. If it did, please review, subscribe, and share this episode with a curious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. Oh, and check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our guest. And come say hi to us on Instagram over at bethefuture.earth, where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety into playful action. Let's hope, act and thrive.